0: This is Ian Sattler, Senior Story Editor at DCU. Hi, this is Lindsay DeHolibus. And Christina Lear. Hi, this is Kevin Vander. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Brian Azrello. Hi, this is Matt Wagner, author of Batman and the Monster Man and Batman and the Mad Monk. Hey, this is Mike Martz, Batman Group Editor.
1: Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro.
0: My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. This is Robert Kreenberger. This is Jerry Robinson. Hey, this is uh,
1: Will Percaccio. This is Adam Beechon,
0: and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 124.4. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me...
1: This is Don Diego de la Vega.
2: (laughs) I didn't realize how much I missed Donovan until just now. Uh, This is Stella.
1: And we are bringing you the comic
0: book news and comic book reviews from the week of September 22nd through September 28th. We have a total of four books to cover, and uh, we have one listener Q&A. And actually, there is no comic news. Uh, So this is going to be a rather short episode. Uh, So we're going to get straight into our comic book reviews. And the very first book we're doing is Batman and Robin, number 23.4, The Killer Proc Special. There I was, holed up in this quarry. When Batman came nosing around, he was getting closer, closer. And? I threw a rock at him.
2: DC Comics unleashes Killer Croc in blood in the water. Blood in the water, you know. Writer Tim Seeley, artist Francis Portella, and colorist Tomu Mori. A group of armored GCPD officers are traveling in the Gotham sewers on a mission. When settling, the team is attacked and the majority is killed by Killer Croc, only to survive Joanna and Jack. 26 years ago, in Crown Point neighborhood, Gotham City, Waylon Jones is being attacked, rather bathed, by his aunt, Flowers. She's really attempting to scrub the scales off of Waylon's body so that he survives, um, well, society in Gotham City. 17 years ago, in Jackson, Florida, Jones is fully crock now and fighting an alligator in a tank at a music fest while people look on. And this is all, you know, a show. In a startling turn of events... Croc turns into Peter Parker and is refused his full payment. The cheapskate in charge gets his hand bitten off in return. <laughs> Three years ago in Gotham City, Croc meets Batman and Robin, and I assume this is Dick Grayson, even though he's wearing Tim's uniform. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, the, for the first time, he meets him for the first time, as he is caught in a jewel heist. Robin belittles him and tells him he doesn't have the smarts to continue. Now in the sewers... Jack and Joanna have survived and see a group of people emerge from one of the tunnels. Joanna asks for help and gets her leg broken by a child with an oar. The group of people, followers of Croc after he saved him from the crazy world above, then turn off the lights and cause the two SWAT members to move in the dark. Jack leads Joanna and jumps across a gap and opens a door to reveal a one-armed corpse hanging, whose name is Houlihan. Two weeks ago at Miller Harbor Docks, Jack is shaking Houlihan down to take money, either to turn a blind eye or for control of the docks. It's a little unclear. It seems that Houlihan is also police, though I cannot completely verify this, but not part of the corrupt gang. Houlihan is shot for saying no. Yesterday, the, cop, the corrupt cops find out that Houlihan had evidence on them and a key to a lockbox. A note is left for them to meet at the harbor rain sewer tunnel with money. Now... Jack finds the key on Houlihan's body, and Joanna is suddenly killed slash eaten. Jack runs through a red glowing tunnel with Croc keeping pace while just walking like every good horror film. (laughs) The tunnel opens up, and Jack falls, being impaled several times by debris. Croc finishes the job. Kroc explains that while he was originally a mammal, he turned cold-blooded monster by the world. All betrayals, except for one. 26 years ago in the Crown Point neighborhood, Waylon is made fun of by some passing boys. Then Houlihan comes with an ice cream cone on his head, very strange, and one for Waylon. He tells Waylon that he will be something great. Now in the sewers, Croc sends a pyre with Houlihan on it down the sewer and tells his followers that they are his eyes on the surface while he is the deadly jaws beneath. Long live King Killer Croc. We've seen several different villain origins now. And often, you know, throughout, there's like this tragic backstory. And I think Croc still has, you know, a bit of a tragic backstory because... Well, he looked different and everything, but it actually seemed like, especially at this very end, that it was more of a positive, more of a positive influence on him and he almost did a good deed. He got revenge on, you know, a friend of his that was killed. But what are your thoughts on his origin in comparison to other villains and then maybe in comparison to uh, a previous origin that we had seen on Killer Croc before?
0: So, I. the thing is, we really didn't see an origin. It was really just showing his childhood and how he, he was different from everybody else and he got made fun of, which, you know, when everybody who's different ends up getting made fun of in the DC Universe. But uh, the the interesting thing is the majority of the story was focusing on his relationship with this cop and then how it plays out because the dirty cops actually kill um, his friend who helped him as a child understand that you know something someday he was meant to be somebody important, and realistically now he is somebody important. He's leading these people who live in the sewers, and you know I I, I actually this wasn't a bad story. You know he's not he is realistically his 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 I guess character really hasn't changed from anything that we've seen in the past pre New Fifty Two in my opinion he. You know, we've, we've, we haven't really seen him that much outside of the pages of Batwoman. And in the, in, 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 even in some ways, this still falls in line kind of what, with what's been going on in Batwoman where he's in the sewers and he's supposed to be leading people. Now, instead of leading all of these mutated people, he's just leaving, leading people who are li- living in the sewers. But the, 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 the only thing that I kind of wondered about was, you know, there's all these other people in other books. They're also living in sewers too.
1: I was just gonna that. Oh, I was gonna bring that up later on. Yeah,
0: but they're not referenced at all. Specifically, Catwoman. Um, there's been a number of different gangs. One led by Doctor Phosphorus in the sewers of Gotham City, and it's not referenced whatsoever. And we'll we'll talk about it obviously when we get to the Joker's daughter special a little later on, but. The fact that these people, I guess, are only living in the sewers and not living in the caverns below the sewers, I guess. I guess that's the only difference.
1: Um, I thought this was, uh, I thought this, I agree. I like this issue um, overall, but that wasn't the question. Um, in terms of like what we see in terms of his past, his quote unquote origin story is virtually the same. I don't know if we've actually seen Croc's past before. I just know that the backstory is that he, you know, he grew up with a, sk- a skin condition that, you know. Uh, ever since hush has turned him into a, like look like a monster um with the scales and stuff so it was virtually unchanged and also i got a, i got a very familiar vibe from it because there's um the whole idea of croc taking in people who are also outcasts or whatever stems from uh both a daniel O'Neill issue uh which didn't involve croc but i kind of had that sort of like circus freak aspect to it which is also based off of an animated series episode so there's a lot of like kind of like continual themes going on with the character which are kind of carried over in this issue so I appreciate it for what it was I thought I thought it made a lot of sense and I thought that like for Croc's character it didn't so much like make it new or, or you know tell a new story as it was sort of like reinterpreting a central theme which I thought they did uh well
2: yeah, I at first I wasn't really sure what to expect because I just thought, oh no, is this going to be a lot of violence and mayhem just because of how it started out with the, the SWAT team and everything. But in my opinion, I feel like, and perhaps I didn't know Croc a, as well as um, you two did. You know, I, I know him especially from the animated series and perhaps later appearances in Batman comics. But I just felt like this issue almost gave him a bit um, of a heart because I feel like even in the Batman the animated animated series episode. He was gathering those people together, but he was really using them. Mm -hmm. And this one, it really seemed like, even though it was a bad way to go about it, like, he really cared for this person. And he was really, he was avenging his death. And and I think it just, it made him more of a... a mammal, I think, in this, in instead of just this mindless killing machine. Uh, but I do like how he explained that, you know, he always thought of himself as a mammal, but it was really the world and everyone sort of um, betraying him and turning their backs on him that made him how he was. But he still has that piece of of mammal in him, I think. So I, I just thought it was different the way that they did that. Uh, you mentioned, you know, all these these followers that he has, and he certainly has some territory, though I guess it's it's in question how much of the sewers really are his. And then we've got these spies and I was just wondering what type of impact do you think this could have uh, in the future after we're done with everything that's going on with Villain Month and Forever Evil.
0: So we know that next month the Forever Evil Arkham War is going to start. Um, last week when we talked, or you two weren't with us, but when Ed and Joe and I talked about the Detective Comics issue that focused on Scarecrow. Scarecrow goes to Killer Croc and asks him if he's interested in joining the ranks of the Society, and it's <laughs> kind of up in the air as whether or not he's going to join. But he does make an appearance in that issue, and Killer Croc is also on the cover of the Forever Evil Arkham War number one, so he's he could be playing a part, and maybe that's maybe his territory is underground. It's not at the end of uh, the Detective Comics twenty three point three. We see that a number of the different villains, the the major villains, have marked their territory all across Gotham City, and it, and it seems as if Crocs territory will be the sewers. So, I think that this is prob this is probably going to tie in much better to what's going to be happening, uh, going forward with Forever Evil Arkham War, and the events that we will talk about with uh, Joker's daughter will not carry on because I don't think anybody wants to admit it's even happening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I didn't think about the whole possibilities to how this is this is going to evo- uh, involve itself in Arkham War. I can't believe that's a, that's a thing happening. But uh, since they established in this issue that Croc has sort of his own Legion of Super dwellers I thought that did kind of set, set himself up as a bit of a for a bit of a status quo in future Batman comics. Like you know how the Penguin has his uh, Iceberg Lounge and. I guess nothing else, but I mean, um, it's sort of an idea for Croc that, like, I mean, we've seen Croc in the series before. That's you don't even have to have to think too hard to imagine that because that's that happened before. But I'm not really seeing Croc rely on other people and us, uh, you know, use other people to this extent besides, you know, basic mob mobsters and stuff when he first appeared. So this is an actually interesting kind of like a uh, thing. I would like to see him maybe using these uh, street urchins to kind of you know help commit crimes and uh, the poverty uh, rate in Gotham City somehow contributing to Croc's henchmen or whatever would be an interesting story, uh, potential for his character. So I think that like, it's an interesting way, way it's an interesting place to put Croc. And I think that it, de- it definitely, uh, opens itself up to more stories. And I think that it's a, de- a definitely, um, a pretty good place to put him in that's not basically being the monster or basically being a mobster, which never really felt right when he first appeared. So, uh, I, I, I like where he is right now. And I think it's, uh, a good way to start, uh, opening up more stories.
2: Yeah, I, you know, I first got the feel of the, um, the episode from Batman the animated series, the Underdwellers, Uh where they had the sewer king and he brought all those kids. But it's a completely different relationship, I think, that Killer Croc has with these followers that he's, because he actually saved them, and and in turn, um, they basically worship him. So it's it's a much better relationship. But I think it'll be great if, and I'm just thinking about like Poison Ivy. I just wonder if the future of Gotham after all of this stuff happens, that it, it really is uh, split up into pieces, and, and I don't know how Batman's going to deal with that, but in a way, I, it'd be awesome to see Killer Croc as sort of an anti-hero, uh, maybe in the way of Man Bat when we talk about that issue, or Red Hood, just that this is his territory, and he'll go after punks that are going after his people, or you know, go down there, but uh, he, he does it in his own brand of justice. I, I think that just like Donovan said, there are a lot of awesome story potentials with this, and, and I think we're taking Killer Croc in a way that hasn't really been done before, With that, which I think is really great.
0: All right, so Batman and Robin number 23.4. I'm going to give a total of 3.5 out of 5 batterings.
1: One small comment about the art. I think the art is good. I think Tim Seeley, I, I'm sure he's done Batman before, but I can't remember when or which. I do think that low, it, it's a little bit at odds with the. Kind of like the, like the setting of the story in the sewers. I think it could have been a little dirtier, a little grimier just because of like where they were and how they were commenting on being in the sewers. But it was still decent art. And I'll give this story 3.5 out of 5 betterings.
2: And I will agree with my two gentlemen friends and give it 3.5 out of
1: 5. All right,
0: so that's going to give Batman and Robin number 23.4, the Killer Croc special, a total of 3.5 out of 5 betterings. Alright, so that's gonna take us into our next book, Detective Comics number 23.4. You forced me to accelerate my testing schedule. It's a
2: pity the Batman himself can't be here to witness.
0: The Birth of Man Batman! Detective Comics number 23.4, The Man Bat Special, written by Frank Thierry and pencils by Scott Eaton. The issue starts off with uh, Kirk Langstrom sitting on a bench in a park, and he's talking about how his entire life has changed over the past couple weeks, when all of a sudden the she-bat, as she's called, (laughs) comes down to feed, and he takes a formula out of his pocket, drinks it, turns into the man-bat, and chases her down. This is, of course, Francine Langstrom, his wife, and uh, she has been out of control feeding on people and he doesn't like it because it's making him look bad. So he takes her down and she turns back into a human who happens to be shirtless. And he tells her that it's over, it's done with. And she says, oh, well, you know, you must have combined the two formulas. That was the only way you were able to take me down. The police come. Man flies off as she's arrested. He then goes back to his lab and over the course of 30 days he tries to perfect a ultimate man-bat formula. And in in sporadically, the reason the way he tests it is he goes out into Gotham City and takes out thugs left and right trying to help the uh, the police out um, because Batman is not around. But as it turns out, as he combines the formulas, he gets a little bit more vicious and starts killing people, and the police after actually come after him now. Um, as he continues to combine the formulas, it gets to day 30 and he is to the point where he's approaching the park where Francine was uh, going to feed and he grabs a woman as uh, we assume that he is going to go feed on her as well. Next, is Manbad hero or menace? Find out in Detective Comics. Alright, so Detective Comics number 23.4, the Manbat special. So this was a pretty quick read overall. Um, we get the, the resolution of uh, Francine Langstrom. Is, she's appeared numerous times, obviously, in Detective Comics, and the backup, that story has been playing out from John Lehman. So this did a pretty decent job, in my opinion, of kind of wrapping up the Man Bat story and still leaving it a little bit open so obviously the Man Bat can appear in Detective Comics, as it says at the end of the issue. But it, it ties up the loose ends with uh, Francine Langstrom but the most interesting thing that I want to talk about is the fact that obviously these characters are very, very different from what we've known before. Obviously, Man has his similar similarities as to what he was pre-New 52, but Francine Langstrom has turned into a completely different person, and this is very evident as shown in this issue. We've talked about this a little bit in the past when we reviewed Detective Comics, but what did you guys think about it in this specific issue?
1: Actually, I didn't have a problem with um, the way Francine was done because they kinda established her her deal and I believe it was the last issue of detective in the back of the story where her whole marriage was a sham and she's like a spy for uh E. D. Caldwell and like she's <laughs> kind of a bee. But I don't know, I mean I was I, I, I didn't I did not really mind it. It was an interesting story. It was different. Uh, it has interesting story potential and Although it is like another notch in the chamber for DC's whole, you know, marriage sucks edict. I did think it, it does, it does give Langstrom himself an interesting, Kirk Langstrom, an interesting story to kind of, you know, from, from the ashes of that torn, uh, affair to try to become Gotham's, uh, protector, which obviously goes wrong by the end of this issue, but I didn't have a problem with it, to be honest. I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't think there's really much of it unless you really love, like, I mean, Man, bat's your favorite character, and um, friend scene kind of contributes to that. I don't really see any real, real uh, justification for disliking that change. I mean, and you—it's a free country; you can. But like, uh, I thought so far what they've done, what, what they've been doing with this story, has been pretty, pretty solid.
2: Uh, well, first of all, I was like <laughs> a little turned off with the 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 woman bat design. Um, but I guess it makes sense that she wouldn't have a top. But then I was thinking, but why does she have pants? Uh, because then when she changes back, you know, basically you have to, like, look at her from the chest down. Uh, so I was a little turned off by that. So I, I don't know if they could throw a top on her or not. But, uh, you know, everything's got to be about betrayal. And and I wonder why, like, there couldn't have been a happy, happy um, marriage and I mean, it just it's so awful that from the very beginning, just meeting him was all about using him. And she had this end goal in mind. And we had known about this from the, the backup. But poor Langstrom, you know, him finding out about it, it. It's just sad to see that. And I just think about the backups in Detective Comics back in um, the 70s. And it, they just had, you know, this great relationship. And of course, she worried about him. And then they had a kid. And it was like a nice family dynamic obviously there were issues and, and there was danger involved being married to Mambat but it was nice to have that that relationship and just sort of ugh, something that didn't involve betrayal i guess that answers the question
0: all right so then the other question that i have is kind of about the Mambat in general you know we talked we just talked about Francine but Mambat as we see in this issue he's trying to perfect the formula to make himself stronger, but as we see, he becomes more violent as time progresses. So, we we've already seen manbat, You know, this is actually kind of you know moving, evolving the character from what he was in the pages of Detective Comics. So, I wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. And then the 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 closer at the end of the issue basically says, "Is he a is he a hero or is he a menace?" As he's carrying off somebody. So, what are your thoughts on the characterization and also? whether or not he is going to be a hero or a menace. I
1: I really laugh at the idea that this is even a question because he clearly was I mean, first of all like he he immediately ramps up his violence by chopping people's chopping clowns heads off and stuff. I mean, he's Uber Punisher Bat. Um take a shot. But I mean like um at the end where he says you know like oh there're these cops they're jealous of me. has that ever, you know, proven to be the moral high ground for a character, especially a, a, in a superhero comic? And then by the end, where he has this monstrous face, is he a hero or is he a menace? I mean, what do you think? <laughs> but the question is, like, I mean, again, like this to me doesn't really—I don't have a problem with this because there's been so many times where Kurt Langstrom himself is a good person, but the Man Bat formula, half the time, if not most of the time, does go wrong in some ways. I mean, that's the reason why he uh, became monstrous in the first place. It was never like you know a thing that he intended to do. And, you know, there, there's been times where there's been times in the comics, I can't cite it specifically, where he's, you know, been that Bam, Bam, Bam at as a hero. I know, I know during like the uh, like back of stories in the 70s, but like every now and then there's always a time where like it, it uh just goes awry. And I'm not, I'm not saying like, you know, he'll be a villain from now on, but I think from the time being, he'll be something that needs to be stopped. And then, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see where, where it goes from there. This is,
2: I mean, gosh, Hero or Menace? This sounds familiar, folks. Yeah, <laughs> no, it sounds like Spider-Man. Um, I realized I was talking to the Batman audience and had to explain further. Uh, you know what? I think he's going to be Hero. I'm going to go along the lines of Hero. Yeah, he, it looks really bad right now, people, but I, I really love this issue. I thought it was great, um, and, and it was awesome just to see that, number one, he took down his wife. And instead of killing her, which maybe any somewhat sane person would do after finding out that all those years were a lie, uh, you know, he, he leads her to the authority. And, of course, he does get a little obsessive with, with the forum and, and keeps increasing and it gets worse and worse. But his original intent is to really take down bad guys. He just does it in his own form of justice. And, I mean, yeah, it's it's Punisher style, but do you consider him a menace? Um, but I think because he has gone over the line, you know, he's already attack- attacked some cops, and he's probably gonna go. Um, well, he's probably gonna go up against Gordon, and there's gonna be some sort of manhunt. I'm hoping that in, in some way, someone's gonna be able to help him. Or he's gonna get control and and find out a way to keep the formula, but really stay within the lines. Because again, you know, just looking back at you know detectives in, in the seventies, it was just great to see him in that hero role. And mm-hmm. I, I think it would be great to get back there. And it was awesome. We had awesome stories. He teamed up with Jason Bard. I don't think there's a Jason Bard in this universe right now, but um, I, I'm really hoping that he'll be a hero. I don't think we need another menace and it'd be great to see him team up with with different bat family members
0: i think the the biggest thing that i would like is i don't want him to be a menace i'm i'm hoping that this last page him carrying the girl off is kind of throwing it off and maybe he re- re- he realizes he's gone a little bit too far and he doesn't want to be a menace like francine was and he doesn't want to end up like her so because of that he decides that he needs to you know try to maybe perfect the formula even better or in a different way possibly reduce the formula to what he's made it the i i definitely don't want him to be a menace because we already have too many other characters that are menaces and i'd like to see more characters that are riding that fine line between the black and the white instead of just being straight black or straight white so i mean you know the the one thing that i find really interesting is that of all the villains month issues that we are all the the villains characters from the batman universe that we didn't, that, that we, we saw in the pages of all these books, Catwoman wasn't one of them. I don't know if that's because DC's considering her not a villain at this point or not, but Mambat, you know, is he really a villain or was this issue written so that he could appear as he is a villain? So at this point, I'm just glad that it's, it's just being left up in the air.
1: So to speak. (laughs) Um, I do think that this story could be done a lot worse, though. I think that, like, the idea of Man Bat as a crazy villain and his, uh... his Francine as, you know, the horrible, betraying wife could have been done... it could have been done worse in a lot of other titles. I think that right now, for the story idea that it is, it's, it's being told fairly, fairly well.
0: So, Detective Comics number 23.4, the Man Bat special, I'm going to give three and a half out of five batterings.
1: I'll give this a four. I like the artwork. Um, I think that the... It was a very quick read, but like it was, it earned its uh, expediency, and I thought that like uh, it's another again as a, a story that makes you interested in where the character's going.
2: I'll also give it a four. Um, besides trying to figure out why we had to see Francine half naked for you know half of the well, I guess just three pages. And we really see anything? Else. No, but I'm just I just don't understand why she can't have a shirt on. I just don't
0: understand. Because she doesn't have the tailor that She-Hulk has. Okay. You know nothing um, about She-Hulk. <laughs> I, well, I just, right. I I just
2: really it. just want to drink an entire bottle of wild turkey because of the fact that he just referenced Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> he just referenced Marvel, people. <laughs> let's, let's take a moment and reflect on that. Um, okay. So until she gets a tailor like uh, Jennifer well, Walters does, um, we
0: I will... Go with a four.
2: It was it was a good story, and I'm I'm looking for I think he's got some good stuff ahead. Hopefully. I hope they don't just shelf him.
0: Alright, so Detective Comics number 23.4. The Man Bad Special gets a total of four out of five bearings Let's move into our next book. Batman in the Dark Knight, 23.4. No!
1: DC Comics unleashes Joker's Daughter in The Meat and the Marrow. Writer Anna city artist Jorge T. This issue begins with uh, the return of the spoiler, or as it would appear, because we see a hooded figure in a violet hoodie um, with a uh, blackened face talking to her one-eyed cat, as most insane characters apparently do. Um, she's kind of babbling, and we see her and the cat go into this bit, uh, This bunker, which turns out to be this entirely flooded area of Gotham City called the Nethers. So there's a lot of like double entendres as to what the Nethers could mean throughout the dialogue in the inner monologue. So this, uh, girl is swimming through, uh, tubes of oxygen. She puts her cat in the bag. She swims with this, with this, um, kids floaty as we see several types of fish swim alongside of her. Um, kind of remind me of, of Zuri here. She finds this uh this part part of a gate near um a graveyard, and she sees a bit of a crescent moon. So she takes it with this big stick and uses it as a weapon for the rest of the issue. She uh gets out of the water and happens upon the, <laughs> for some reason the Joker's mat. The Joker's face is still intact, and she says, "Oh, she says, oh, this looks great. I'm put this in my face, and I look beautiful now. And she says, I look so beautiful. I'm always so beautiful. But I used to be anorexic, and we see a flash of her decidedly unanorexic looking, um." Jesus decided to cut her uh face with a um it's it's something that cuts her face, so uh, she dons the uh her name is Dwella we don't know if it's Dwella Dent but uh that's the character's name but she dons her the Joker's face and from here on out uh, will typically be called the Joker's daughter I don't know why because she has on a, a, t- a halter top t shirt that says Daddy's girl and um a ha 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 tattoo down to her crotch um and one of her catchphrases is ugly as a new beautiful. So she happens upon this couple, uh, when I say couple, I mean like this man and a woman looking very biblical. And um, the woman is uh, deep frying a rat or I guess she's basically cooking a rat while the guy just uh, lays back as though he's laying on a hammock even though he's laying on a very uncomfortable looking rock and a very poorly drawn panel. Um... And then we, we get a lot of uh, exposition and information about the fact that the men do everything and the women do nothing, or the men, the men do nothing and the women do everything. And uh, she sees some uh, domestic abuse where the guy says, you know, here's the, here baby, you suck the marrow out of these bones. I know that's your favorite. Ho, ho, ho. So um, Joker's daughter decides to jump the guy and immediately start killing him by slicing his, slicing his face and uh, scalding his face with the Crescent Moon weapon she has. Kind of giving him, uh, the look of a smile. Huh, huh. So, um, she says, uh, who, who runs the show here? He says, Oh, uh, Charon, he's the guy who uh, runs everything. She says, Well, he runs the pig truckie. That's about to change. Um, girls rule and boys drool. So she gathers up all the nearby women to find this guy. Uh, Charon <laughs> turns out to be a Chris Hensworth looking guy covered in a suit of pennies. Uh, which, <laughs> what the hell um, so she says I've heard that the Joker's daughter wants to meet with me it is an honor I don't know why so she starts attacking him because the comic says so they start fighting he says you know I want see, see that you're in pain please let me help you and um, they fight underwater he out, out fights her because he's stronger and bigger than she is and he says join us we would be happy to take you in after the beating that I just gave you what horrible thing happened to you to make you this way so we get another flashback. I know, right? Another flashback to this, uh, to uh, a pathetic childhood where this girl was born and the parents hated her for reasons. And um, so she uh, talks about how she tortured animals, and the parents says, "Can we get her fixed?" Uh, and she uh, had a dog that the, pa- that the parents threw away because of I don't know why. So she cut her face. And then she went to the doctor, and then as the doctors were doing plastic surgery on her, they didn't give her anesthesia, even though know, she's a teenager, because of, you know, comics. And so uh, she runs away, and the entire time, she kind of says the opposite emotion of what the flashback tells. Like, she says, oh, my parents loved me, and I had a happy childhood, and they, they put me on vacation, uh, although the opposite happens the entire time. Um Thor says, you're trying so hard to convince me you're a happy child, but your story hurts my heart. And she says, oh, that's, that's sweet. And then she like, proceeds to burn his face. Out of nowhere, the entire population of the nethers show up and says, oh, the women, they all refuse to make us food, so uh, our faces are burned. Um, and so they turn on Charon, um, I guess. And the issue ends with the Joker's daughter uh, taking control of the nethers and saying, things are beautiful out there. Let's show the world what happens when Ugly takes over. Joker's Daughter next appears in Catwoman number 24. This sucked. <laughs> this was really, really bad. Um, I'm going to say something real quick because I don't read Catwoman because uh, I don't care anymore. But also, I heard a lot of terrible reviews, uh, n- uh, not least of which are on the point five cast, about how Anna City is just drowning that title. And I find it interesting because Anna is a char- is a character is a comic writer who's been in the industry for years, like since the eighties. She, She's mainly been in uh, Marvel take a shot uh, where she wrote uh, X-Men take a shot and Daredevil take a shot as well as Spider-Man take a shot. And she's always, she's the most notable thing about Ann uh, nacenti actually how you pronounce her name is that she always has these, like these very feminist uh, type of politics in her work. And a lot of people routinely complain about that. Um, I mean, here, here it's just, you know, dripping with you know, pretentious, platitudes about you know men and women gender inequality which really does does the whole feminist movement a disservice if you ask me but i digress um here is just i'm not sure what she's doing in catwoman to be honest I, I I just know that the book is weird but this is just nothing but nonsense um and rambling i i I had to read this more than once because i really couldn't follow what was going on i didn't know where the nethers came from i don't know why things are flooded just because the justice league is gone doesn't mean that like you know Aquaman's world has taken over Gotham City. I don't know. Um, so this was this was really weird. Uh, I kind of just want to talk this one out. I'm not really sure if I have any discussion points. I don't, it's not even really worth comparing this to, like, you know, the, you know, the development of the pre-New Fifty Two because it's so radically different. You're not, you're, you would just be kind of wasting your time considering the differences. But in terms of like, interesting the idea of the Joker's daughter, I suppose this really crazy girl who's kind of like. Uh, really anti-patriarchal and um, anti-establishment. Is there anything positive that you took away from this character or not? (laughs) Basically. Uh,
0: I've got nothing positive, but I do have a list of a bunch of negatives. Oh my God. (laughs) Um, So the beginning of the issue, you know, she, for some odd reason, she looks like Pandora. Um, As we've if anybody's been reading anything outside of the Batman universe, you know who Pandora is. Um, But that's what she looks like. Okay. Somehow she gets to this other area of Gotham that's flooded. It's not really it's not really explained very well. It doesn't make any sense of why she has you know this this, these caverns lead to you know built up civilization somehow down there. It's not and when I say that I mean like for example there's a specific part that she swims through that shows that there's a cemetery down there. Why would there be a cemetery that far down? Like this would be some place that. You can't have something like that underground. And where did they flood? It would have to be like a a, a lake or something that they have sitting in somewhere in the middle of Gotham that used to not be a lake. That's the only way something like this would actually work. So there's that part. Then she finds the Joker's, uh, she finds the Joker's face. Okay. We get this real quick thing of her showing us using a razor blade to cut her face. But then later in the issue, she's shown using a box cutter or an X Acto knife to cut her face. Okay, so there's already, a, uh, you know, a, some inconsistency amongst her, what she's saying, how her face got hurt, whatever. Okay, somehow, you know, she happens to have this bright red hair, which isn't shown until she happens to find the Joker's face, and she has this tattoo that she already has that maybe says "ha ha," maybe says something else. But if it says "ha ha," how does that make any sense related to the Joker? Why would she have that before she finds the Joker's face? She makes a comment to herself that, oh, this is great, it's going to be great because people respect the Joker and blah, blah, blah. No one respects the like, Joker. <laughs> exactly. It's like everyone doesn't mess with the Joker, but nobody wants, nobody thinks the Joker is, you know, a person that they all need to to fear. Okay, so then we continue on. She finds this metal uh, cre- uh, crescent moon shape thing somehow. She somehow attaches it to a stick. It's not showed that she attaches it to a stick. It's just attached to a wooden stick. But she's able to stick the stick into hot coals and it just stays on. And literally every picture that we see of this stick and the glowing moon attached to it or the (laughs) non-glowing moon attached to it, it's just sitting there. There's no explanation of how in the world she attached this metal thing to a wooden object. It's just sitting there. And literally every picture of it, I'm looking at like a number of different panels, it just has this like hanging their whole, like, I don't know, it's like they've got some, she's got Mm -hmm. ventriloquist powers or something, and it just happens to stick to the stick, whatever. Okay, so then she has this big argument about the fact that, you know, girls are better than guys, blah, 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 has that whole thing where they show her making the face on one person. After she asks who's in charge, she then goes straight to the Chris Hemsworth (laughs) wannabe, Okay. Then we see her attack him after he does nothing (laughs) at all. She just attacks him because, oh, that's how it is. He explains to her why it is the way it is because the women can't do everything the way they need to. And the things that the women can do, that's what they want them to do because they can't be builders. They can't do this. They can't do that. And does she care about any of this? No. You know, despite the fact that he is nice to her and doesn't kill her, despite the fact that she tries to kill him. He just decide, she just decides that he's going to give her the big long story. Then we see her flashback of her history, which doesn't make any sense. I don't really understand this. I don't know if it's a problem with the art or what. You know, she, she, her mom's pregnant. They're all happy go lucky. She's born and she makes this comment about how my father smiled when he saw me, but that, that phrase is in a panel where he looks like he's gasping. Then it says I was flawless. Then we see a baby. There's nothing wrong with that. She's got some stuff on her face. Well, every baby or anybody who knows anything about babies knows that they don't come out looking all spiffy and, you know, super clean. They've got to clean them off before you actually see the baby all nice and clean. So she was flawless. So I guess I guess her father gasped because she was flawless. I don't know. Like that didn't make any sense. Continue on, okay, so she's, she you know, she's, you know, she's an odd child who, you know, she likes weird things, whatever. I don't, you know, th- you know, there's plenty of kids who like weird things. For some reason, her parents think they need to fix her. Um, but before they decide to fix her, she cuts her face. Why? It no, doesn't make any sense, but she doesn't. She cuts her face. They take her away to do plastic surgery. She somehow wakes up or she's not put to sleep while she's getting in her face becomes even worse. The explanation behind that doesn't make any sense. The malpractice suit that would ensue would allow her to get her face fixed by a plastic surgeon. So that doesn't make any sense. But she decides to run away because her parents are trying to figure out why she is the way she is. She'd, okay.
2: She'd be Whatever. like, well, shouldn't she be like asleep during this? Anyways, how is yeah, she moving? she
0: should be under <laughs> anesthetics. If they're fixing her face, okay. they she should be under anesthetics. She can't just move and have someone tell her, no, 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 don't move, don't move. I'm trying to cut your face. <laughs> uh, then we cut back to Chris Hemsworth, who basically says, "Oh, your your story's so sad. You know, um, you know, I I want to help you." Blah blah blah. And what does she do in turn? She tries to attack him again and brands his face, and then somehow the entire population of all the nethers shows up. Oh, no Every single one of their faces are branded. <laughs> How did this happen? <laughs> they showed her walking from branding one guy straight to the Chris Hemsworth, dude. Why did all these other people suddenly have their faces like that? <laughs> and then somehow, because every single one of them had their faces branded, that, in- that automatically makes them all want to follow her. Mm. Because Yes, she just caused you physical pain and disfiguration on your face, and now you want to follow her. All the men say, oh, the women don't want to, to do anything because she made them not want to do anything. Well, that wasn't shown. We have shown <laughs> a bunch of useless things, but is that ever shown once? She says it to the one chick. As she's actually telling the guy who she first brands, this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. Do we actually see any females who are over the age of, I'd say, 14 in anywhere in this issue outside of that first chick? No. No. She's walking alongside a bunch of girls to the Chris Hemsworth dude, and then at the end, the few women that they show all look like girls, like young girls or teenage girls. None of them are actually women. So where are all of these women that she's liberating by, and and all of these men that she's braining? How exactly did she overpower every single one of these men? There are so many holes in this story; it's in, in, incredibly horrible. You know, before the podcast started, uh, Stella asked the question, "Which, which, which one was worse, the ventriloquist or this?" And I said, "You know, possibly this because I enjoyed the art." But now, as I look through it for the the second and third time, this is by far probably the worst issue that of this entire month. Uh, I really, really did not like the ventriloquist issue, but this is absolutely horrible. And the more I think about it, the more holes I can find.
2: It started off like I should have known what the nethers were, but I had no idea. I wasn't sure if the nethers were explored before this or in Catwoman. And so I was at a loss and I should have been reading Catwoman all along and... And I wasn't. Um, I was also then bugged by the fact that this girl references Pompeii. Obviously, I saw a photo once after a volcano. A couple still hugging in death, covered in ash. Yes, that's from Pompeii because you can go there and actually see pom- uh, people there after uh, Mount v- Vesuvius erupted in 79 AD. And then this thing about the people of nethers were frozen in whatever everyone was doing when the water came down. And I'm looking around at this thing and I see people down there but they oh have masks on, so I assume that they're actually breathing under there. I don't know,
0: but, but they didn't show once anybody who was.
2: Freezing yeah, in, yeah. In time. So I mean, I guess so that that whole yeah. comment made no sense. Yeah, that's and so th- that was just bugging me. I honestly just was like thrown for a loop. I felt very now I oh well <gasps> there's a panel page four. You can see how she slipped the moon inside of the uh, the stick. You kind of sticks it in the stick if you want to see. <laughs> uh, but that answers your question about physics and stuff. You know, oh my gosh. It's still drawn back. I know, I know. Well, I agree with you there. It does seem like it's just hanging.
0: And if it was stuck in, I'm looking at it now, if it's stuck in like that, the stick would start on fire if it, she's having it sit in the fire long enough. It should to slip it off because it's to underwater. To get it going. Yes. So, so many yeah,
2: um, there are a lot of classical references in here. I don't know if anyone caught it. I mean, Pompeii is just one. I mean, that's just from the classical world. But then you have, uh, Lysistrata, Lysistrata. It's been a while since I've had Greek. Oh, which was a Greek comedy. And she says that women withheld all services, but it was a comedy, and comedies back then were, they could be more coarse, obviously, because of the, the times. And really, the women during the the Peloponnesian War, they withheld all sexual services. They would not have sex with their husbands or anything until they stopped the war. And then there was just a battle between uh, the sexes, and Lysistrata was sort of the leader <laughs> of all this. So... I feel like she kind of takes the idea um but it really doesn't seem to it it I guess it has the the spirit of it but it doesn't really go along with it which perhaps we would complain if she said that they wouldn't have sex then it would be a sex stuff comic so I guess that's good. And the other classical reference is this caron, right? Um now in in mythology he is the I mean scary looking skeleton guy that rows the boat um, across the river Styx that carries people who have, hopefully, a coin, uh, and they give him the coin as, well, they're dead, obviously, and they're in the underworld, and so they're there. From that transition point, he bo- boats them over, and then they get to one of the places in the underworld. If they're good, they get to go to Elysium. If they're bad, they could go other places like Tartarus. And if you don't have a coin, you stay on the bank. So I assume that his penny jacket um, were really several coins that because wasn't there like this plot point was he took people from Arkham like wasn't he the one who sort of boated them over and then once they got there he gave them a pair uh, well a person to pair them with um so in a way like I thought that was kind of clever but she doesn't really explain it because he just says when Joker's daughter asks why do you have that penny code he said it it makes me the leader and so I mean <laughs> it would have been like better if if you're going with this classical idea, then why don't you like elaborate on that more? So I think there were like many little things, I don't know if and what is it? Nacenti? Yeah,
0: Nacenti. No, well, Actually it's a I CH.
2: That. Um I mean maybe she has a classical background, but I think there are all these pieces that she could have really done well with and and it just sort of falls down the tube. Um yeah, that whole fight. scene. I mean, this girl is psychotic. Uh, she goes after that guy and what was weird also is she doesn't seem to have any training whatsoever and this like apparently anorexic girl is able to almost overcome him and like survive his beating and I feel like there should have been no contest. He would have been able to knock her out and still be leader. So I think this was a stretch. Her backstory, I felt like I was reading about Shauna again. What My Chemical Romance? Oh, man. No. There may be fans who listen to this show that like My (laughs) Chemical Romance, and you just insulted them. No, I felt like I was reading Shauna, the Ventroquist, all over again. Because if you remember her backstory from, if you read Ventroquist, she also used this tactic of saying all these uplifting things, but in the pictures, it was completely different in the pictures as in the images. So... Remember she said that she and her brother they they loved it, but he was jealous of her and then you saw like what was really going on that he got all the limelight and everyone forgot her. So I cry foul just the fact that it's the same exact thing but just with a different character.
0: Um and the the, the sad part is that the, the out of all of the books that we had this month, the villains month books The only two that were, or I should say within the Batman universe, the only two that were written by females are the two that we don't have, that we have the biggest problems with. And that's, and that's a bad thing. It
2: is. Because that's gonna, yeah, I don't know if that'll give fuel to the fire of if people think, well, that's why there aren't a lot of female writers. Um, because that would, that would stink. But, you know, The Joker's Daughter has potential. I, I think that, um, pre-crisis Joker's daughter. I mean, she had her issues, but she was part of the Teen Titans for a little bit. and um, I mean, she was a, a wacky character, but it was sometimes fun to read her. I, I think I read a couple issues of her when she interacted with Babs and Dick. This, it could have been good. I hate seeing that mask. I think that it should be completely destroyed. I don't know how it's lasted this long. But it this, I don't know, this issue just honestly to me didn't make sense. It, it just seemed like, It was written by this crazy, this crazy Joker's daughter because it just, there was no rhyme or reason for what was going on. And, and I too wonder how everyone made this swift change of all of a sudden their face were, their faces were burned and they were deciding to follow her because, well, she must be Joker's daughter. So I'm sorry that people who have to read Catwoman will have to read her again.
1: They're doomed to their fates.
2: And who would, you know that tattoo? I don't understand. That it reminds me of the girl with the dragon tattoo because one of the guys um, that did bad stuff to Lisbeth. She came back and um, like tattooed on his chest and belly. I'm a, I'm a I couldn't remember, oh, I'm like a sadist and a pig. And like it went down to, towards his crotch area so that if he were to ever try what he did with her again, that he would he wouldn't because he'd be embarrassed by taking off his clothes. And it just like who would get a tattoo there? And why would she get ha ha when, I mean, she wasn't even related remotely related to the Joker cute. until this moment. I don't know. That's bizarre, though.
0: All right. the 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 one thing I do want to touch on that you just talked about was how is the Joker's face still? It's ex- <laughs> <in his face. laughs> true. I because yes. throughout the entire death of the family storyline, as the as the main story that was in the pages of Batman progressed mm-hmm. over the, la- the over the couple yeah, months. Recapulo nice. specifically showed yep. the face deteriorating yeah. and flies a, flying around. It was in And now it's somehow, it was in water and it's going to continue to last. This is clearly taking place a couple months after that happened. So I mean, it's like...
2: <sighs> and how did it get there? Yeah, she said it smelled bad. If you-
0: oh, okay. So it smelled bad. It's like if it that- sat in a sewer for a, uh, more than a month, it wouldn't be there anymore. That's what put I put th- it on her face. Yeah. Those hooks that are stuck. You'd rip it apart. That just happen. It yeah. It would fall. It would it would just b- basically
1: deteriorate. Yeah. Uh, let me do this. <laughs> all right. The reason why I don't like this issue is because the story makes no freaking sense. It truly doesn't. Mm-hmm. First of all, we're, like, like I said, we're introduced to this like Nethers area of Gotham as though you know it's been there the entire time. You see. And in this Nethers area of Gotham, for some reason, like like the gender has, what is Zana Chichi trying to say about Gotham exactly? Like, like all of a sudden, the men basically take all the women and says, "Okay, you work for me now, while I sit around playing with myself, waiting for my rat dinner." Like, I don't understand why that's a thing. Like, like we're not in prehistoric times. This isn't a hundred years ago. Why? Why have all the men suddenly do that? Like, are are all the men in Gotham City and the Nethers? I guess like like just born, bred sexes? I I don't. Understand how, what it is. And she doesn't explain it. She does not explain it. She says, "says go with it. You know, that's, that's the way things are done.
2: Oh, well, they were given a partner, though. I mean, like, once they leave Arkham, the, you know, the Chris Helms, he gives them a female companion.
1: These are, these are all Arkham inmates.
2: That's, I mean, that's the impression I got. Says who? B- well, it was in the story. The,
0: the problem is that doesn't make any sense because
1: where did the children come from?
2: Um, I don't know.
1: Well, the thing about this is, okay, okay, that's that's all right. That's that's an asset. I don't like. I don't like the just the really lazy way of saying, oh well, the men dominate all the women here. That's 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 a thing. There's a huge problem with the entire idea of all of these people being down there,
0: because the people that the, because they're referencing when they talk about he's taking people from Arkham and bringing them there and pairing them with a mate, he's they're referencing the fact that Arkham has been broken out. That's happened in Forever Evil where. Someone walked, came into Arkham, broke everybody, or, you know, basically let everybody escape from Arkham. Again. <laughs> That's what happened. Okay. So what they're, they're referencing is the fact that people have escaped from Arkham, which just happened. Yet somehow he, his, what he's been doing is he's the leader who may have been there way before the whole Arkham thing happened. And because the, uh, there's people from Arkham who escaped, he has been bringing them over. And maybe some of them are the sexist people because they're criminals. But the majority of these people are gonna be nuts because they're in Arkham, not in Blackgate. So there's there's so many problems. And then where do the children come from? There's all these children that are running around and all of these young girls. And you know, I'm that's obviously there's it's very possible that there's there's females in Arkham Asylum. It's not an all-male asylum, but at the same point there's, I'm almost positive the ratio from male to female is going to be male much higher than female at Arkham Asylum because that's just how crime is. So somehow they're all able to have a perfect mate as they all come. It, like there's so many holes with the structure of this entire civilization below the Arkham,
1: the world. Arkham Asylum is supposed to be uh, a mental hospital for the by the criminally insane people who are violent. So if you have A break, let's say all these people are Arkham inmates and you have like, you know, some douchebag who says, okay, here's your woman now. Why would the women just go along with that? Why would they not tear the guy's eyes out if they're Uh, supposed to be criminally insane? They're
2: outnumbered though, just like Dustin said. I did find the page, it's on page nine. when she asks, she asks the guy who's eating the rat, who rules, and he says, "Karan." He gives passage to anyone that escapes, and she says, "Escapes what? You know Arkham, the asylum. You must have been there. You have the face. If Karan likes you, you get shelter and a woman.
1: And if he doesn't like you, what does he do? Well, I don't
2: know. I guess th- you don't get passage.
1: Well, uh, okay, okay, uh, okay. That's fine. There's an explanation for that. I don't think it's very. I don't think it's explained very well. Well, I defer- flat yeah. Out. Um, just the idea of a, of a guy, Karan says, "I am Karan." I heard the daughter. What's this guy's deal? Like, like what, what, what does parents do to him to make him want to dress in a penny coat, run around and say, "Like, I, I deliver these people across." The... It's, it's. I find that completely stupid. I really do. And I was confused, is that like this guy just has this whole setup going on? If this is supposed to take place like right after Forever Evil, Fubar, Akram Asylum, then how long has this been going on? Like a day? Like this, this entire society set up. I just I, – I find it really hard to believe. I find it really ridiculous. Um, And the character of Dwella herself, like what are her goals? I mean she's, she goes on about her flashbacks like, you know, oh, I hate beauty and ugly is the new beauty and everything. And then she pops up with this whole like, you know, like this like third-wave feminist Andrea Dworkin. Like, you know, men suck and I'm going to come after you and like – I mean – Show us why this is. Like, have her father do something to her or, you know, have her mom talk to her or something. Like, like this doesn't make any sense. Logically. Well, her,
2: yeah, I mean, her father was the one who wasn't accepting. Her mother tried to talk him into being more loving and everything. But along the way, he was the one who was always, I mean, he got rid of the dog and kept saying, hey, can we fix her? But she was trying to be the loving one. So they weren't both against her.
1: But. I suppose. But even, so, I, I, again, maybe... I, I swear I'm not trying to pick holes in this thing, but I really do feel that, like, the art, as bad as it is, could have established that better. I mean, she should at least name check her father more so. But I don't, I don't understand why she says the opposite if she's very clearly angry and hates everything that's beautiful. Why does she say that everything is beautiful in her flashback? In the, when she's speaking from present times? Why does she hate things that are beautiful exactly? What is it about that? Why don't we see her parents trying to, trying harder to get her psychological therapy? Why is she trying, why is she trying to brand people who were even? Did, did she, I guess all the men are branded here, but even still, it's like, and then like this whole Joker fixation that she has, even though she already has like this whole uh "ha ha ha" Joker thing on her in the first place. It just, it just feels very—I don't know. It almost feels like like they gave Anna Chinti an idea to run with, and they tried to. She just tried to make the best of it, honestly. I mean, I'm not—I don't find myself disliking Anna Chinti as much as I probably should, because I—I don't know, like, like, like. For, for all the crap that's in this issue i can kind of see ideas of things that could be better but this just this doesn't make any sense it it just doesn't and like because the characters are so violent and so they're just, they're just babbling about nothing it makes me upset the fact that like there could be legitimate uh story potential for future stories but because it doesn't make any sense it just it's just babbling and incoherent nonsense I mean, I don't know. It's, it sounds like still that you have you found things that are at least at least easier to swallow. No,
2: I... I'm you know I'm sorry that I I happen to be uh, defending. I thought it was awful. I'm just trying to like provide answers to some of the questions that you may have and no, that's actually, fine. give some evidence and stuff. So I do apologize for defending it because folks out there, <laughs> I thought it was terrible. Um, but there, I guess there is a method, and it's funny you use the word like her joker obsession i can't remember the exact words that you said but it, it seems like she never really had it just all of a sudden she found the exactly. mask she really like joker yeah. so it wasn't yeah like she loved him all the time and then she was really excited she found this mask and just kept going it just comes out of nowhere
1: and why would she do so anyway i mean i just yeah. i mean i mean there are obviously like story uh problems like you know she talked like you guys said she talks to that one guy she says who runs things here it's it's Cara. on you know all the women do this all the women do that and then like the guy says, you know, oh, I've heard of you, Joker's daughter. I've been wanting to meet you. From where? Where's your cell phone? Like, what, <laughs> how, how did that happen? And then, like, once she attacks the guy, all the men in the area just teleport there and says, look at all, all these women all simultaneously attacked us because they, they wouldn't make us popcorn. And it's just, how, how does this information get out, you know, when there's no electricity down there? Like, what what, what is in the script that makes this happen?
2: <laughs> and how does she breathe? Like, where'd she get that technology? I don't know. And how does the cat survive in that battle? Oh my
1: god, this is awful.
2: Maybe we should
1: <laughs> I'm done. I can't I can't.
0: Yeah, yeah, We'll leave it at that. It was horrible. Alright. in the Dark Knight number twenty three point four. I'm gonna give a half a batarang out of
1: five. <laughs> You're half a batarang more generous than I am. Oh that's a zero. <laughs> zero. <laughs> For
2: those that don't do math well. Yeah, I think uh I will agree and give it a point five out of five.
0: Alright, and over on the website Joe Pizzolo gave the issue one out of five yes. betterings So that is going to give the issue a total of 0. 0.5 out of five batterings. Let's move into our last book. Batman number twenty-three point four. What are you? I've got some recording and
1: the ball time you've all been living on. I'm necessary.
2: DC Comics unleashes Bane in Dark Destiny. Writer Peter J. Tomasi, artist Graham Nolan, and colorist John Kleitz. Bane remembers a time that he took a man's hope and city, but that man rose again like a devil, and the city was taken back. Bane wants the city back for himself, and he has refined. His venom. All this happens as he breaks slash kills several men at uh, Peña Dora prison in Santa Prisca. He is looking for followers who will serve him and sacrifice themselves if needed. Amidst the havoc, a little girl appears and desires to watch her father die. It seems Bane is a hero to many children because many of the men that Bane has killed were terrible people who did bad things uh, and bad things to their children. She tries to hold his hand and is punished for such foolishness. <laughs> wow. At a, a harbor, Venom and lots of armaments are being loaded up on a ship. The captain tells Bane it will take four days to reach Gotham, and Bane tells him he has two, or he will be crushed. The owls expect nothing, so we're talking about the court, and the bats are gone. Bane stares at a coin that we have seen earlier, especially with the uh, Two-Face issue. Hours later, we saw we see Bane beating on someone as that person tells of Bane's origin, paying for his father's crime by serving his time, growing stronger and wiser, becoming the man he is through venom. Bane learned of Gotham and its protector, one who would stop Bane from achieving a great victory. But Bane has a following now, an army, and they serve Bane gladly. Bane gives life and takes it away as he beats two men into bulls At Blackgate Penitentiary. The interim warden and her green assistant, newly off of an internship, freak out about the situation and the lack of electricity. You know, she sort of reminds me of, what was her name? Contessa something something. She was dating Nick Fury. I don't remember, but she also had like, okay. Uh, the lack of electricity. Yeah, I know. Something necessary to keep the inmates in line, obviously. Suddenly, the words, the world is ours, pops up on all tech devices and screens. The warden goes to check on the situation in the cells and finds the guards dead and the villains running amok. The villains communicate to Bane that Blackgate is under their control. Bane doesn't fully rely on the Archimites because they are as idiotic as they are insane. He respects his prey and wants one who is smarter than the rest, the Scarecrow. If he is taken down, the rest will understand the war cannot be avoided and they will fear. As some of his men go off in a helicopter, he picks the little girl's flower headband out of his suit, don't know why he kept it, and throws it off of the ship. Off the coast of Gotham City, he arms his men and tells them to set fire to the world to be his apostles, to bring Santa Priscan violence to Gotham City in his name. As he gazes upon a solar eclipse, perhaps caused by the society, he declares that Gotham is bored. I regret this uh, picking this issue slightly just because I was a little confused at to what was going on. So I do have two questions just to help me work out and maybe you had um dissimilar things. And then I'll I'll move on. Why oh an actual discussion. Why is Bane killing all of these people if they are followers of her of his? Do you have any idea why? Like, I mean, the entire issue—he's beating on people that I assumed were following him. Maybe not the people. In the
1: between.
0: Okay, so, the, so the the idea—this is taking a lot of this is coming from Talon. Okay. And what will we'll eventually leave an arc more. Um, but the i the idea is—it's—it's it's hard to tell. But the people that he's beating on are people that are from the prison. Mm-hmm. When he was trying to, when he was coming into power, that's the like. He's not killing people just to kill people. He's the the the, like you're talking about the scene where they're in the weight room.
2: Yes, that one, and then on the ship,
0: he's Um, beating a couple. Can't remember the one. I'll have to look. Oh, I think the one on the ship. I think is the the ship captain because they made a point that if they didn't get Uh. to them. If they didn't get there in two days, he okay. would beat them, uh, the, the captain and his his uh, mm-hmm. crew. And I'm assuming that he can't it. take a four-day trip and make it actually two days, so that's why. But uh, the weight room one was part of when he was, like, coming into power. Okay. That's, w- that's the way I took it. I mean, I might be wrong, but that's the way I took it. I'm
2: looking at... Th- I don't know, those two... Well, the captain has a beard, and then the guy he beats on within the actual thing does not. And it, yeah, it was I, weird.
0: I didn't really understand who the heck okay. that person was. It was just, I. that's what I said it was when I was like, I don't really yeah. know who this is. Because they're not wearing any of the same clothes that any of the soldiers mm-hmm. are wearing, like his followers. So the captain was the only person who was wearing something different. So it's impossible to know. The other thing was there was a point where somebody says that they got word from black eight that their the people that they sent ahead of time were fine. And I don't know, uh, like, I don't know. I just chalked it up as if it was somebody from the crew. I don't really think it makes a big difference one way or the other. It's not a follower. So let's get into it. Okay. Discussion.
2: Uh, what are your thoughts on Bane's origin as told in those few narrated pages compared to what Chuck Dixon
1: did in Bane vengeance? May I go first? Uh, just, okay. <laughs> um, I didn't like it, and that's not because I'm I'm a I'm a big Mark. It's because Nightfall is my favorite story, or you know, because I I despise what they're doing right now. But I honestly felt that though is if you don't know Bane from the comics, and you don't, you only, only have to go off of like you know a Dark Knight Rises, uh, and you're and you just need a recap of why he is who he is. I honestly felt that this didn't really give you much of an explanation because they talk about ah that he you know, he served out his father's sentence, and you know he heard of Batman. And really two toss-off flashback pages that don't – I honestly – the only reason I, I, I got an inkling of who he was is because I know the character. Mm-hmm. And I honestly took it. I read it as somebody who might not, and I imagine that they would be very confused. So I honestly thought that, like, whatever the origin is – I mean, why is he having Venom? Why was he I – mean, oh, Venom will make you stronger. They don't explain, like, the whole, you know, uh, surgery procedure, like he's the only person who survived. They don't explain any of that. Venom's, Venom is basically just a, I mean – it always was a super steroid, but this is just basically him taking drugs and like it. It really doesn't. I don't think these pages explain. Neer, I know they don't, they don't explain nearly as much as they the pages think they do. If that makes any sense. I think that like with the images and the the captions, they'll tell you who Bane is. But in terms of like providing an origin for the character in this new continuity, it really doesn't. It's just I find it very confusing in the way that they told it. The the origin of you know
0: him taking his father's sentence and the, the short amount of space that they actually explained it in, you know, I don't really have a huge problem with it. It really felt like they were not necessarily talking about, um, his origin as a child as much as it was his origin previous. And they were setting up the fact that, you know, he took the venom and that he went to Gotham before and he tried to take out Batman before and blah, blah, blah. And it really just, tr- tr- it seemed like they were trying to establish that he has done the things that we've seen him do in the past involving Batman. And with that. But
1: well, they didn't even show him breaking his at- back though.
0: <laughs> well, they don't show him breaking his back, but, you know, the, but they don't say anything except for the fact that he went to Gotham before and he tried to do it. Because I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to hint at it without making it very specific. Yeah. And, and, you know, that sucks for, you know, people like us who know these stories and want to have the throwbacks. But I think the point is that they're trying not to get overwhelmed with, you know, events from the past and they're just trying to leave it a little bit open as if, you know, if, you know heaven forbid they decide to redo nightfall. Or oh something. my
1: word. Well I mean I I I can understand because they clearly don't know what they want to do. And I can understand them kind of like giving an intro to who Bane is without getting into the specifics because in all honesty and I and I I love Bane as a villain. He he is he is one of my favorite Batman villains. But no one gives two craps about him because, unless the fact that except for the fact that he broke Batman's back. That's that's really what it comes down to. So I think it's actually like they kind of got Are you saying
2: out. that from a like your perspective or
1: that's what you think readers think. That's that is that's in my opinion been like. I mean, I know there are fans of the character. I'm a fan of the character, but what he it's like Venom. What he made his mark in, or not so much Venom, but like he made his mark because he was the first villain to really break Batman. And his own, his like his most his most famous contribution to the character's history isn't at all specified. <laughs> I, I find I find that I understand why that is, but. In terms of like, you know, what they replaced that with, I found it confusing and I found it kind of, uh, troubling. But it was, you know, it was like, you know, they almost, they almost had no choice really because the idea of Nightfall taking place in this continuity is, is, is completely risible. But I mean, it's, it's what else they could have, could they have done? But at the same time, they're trying to tie it into this talent story and it, it almost like it's trying to serve two different masters and it doesn't really work. I don't think,
2: you know, I, yeah. I think that's. Batman, I'm sorry, Bane Vengeance is perhaps one of the greatest, um, villain focused stories ever written. Um, and not because, you know, I really like Chuck Dixon, but just the way they explore him and what goes on. Um, and I, that's why I sort of argue against, you know, people only know him as breaking his back. I, I think there's, I mean, that may be true, but I think there's a lot more to the character than just that. So for me, it's sort of a travesty that, oh, they only think about him breaking his back. But I think you really have to search and look at that vengeance story um, to see who Bane really is and and just like his rise to power. Because there's a lot that goes on before Nightfall. Uh, And to have that entire story really um, put into, what, two or three pages it was really sad for me um because you know you're just getting this narration from the guy that's getting beaten on and you know he he gets wiser and and stronger and i just thinking about all this stuff he was thrown in that cage and he read books and he learned lots of things and and i'm just thinking well, all of this is thrown down in into this short amount of space so unfortunately i i didn't like it as much it was the one thing that i did understand though because like I, you know i my first thing was a question there's a lot going on that i wasn't too sure of and then finally we get to a place where oh i know what's going on i was also shocked that they mentioned uh nightfall just because I've, i guess i've gotten used to the fact that new 52 really doesn't have much attachment to the past even though they say that it always happened. So I was very shocked and had to read that a couple times. But uh, in my opinion, it 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 was, um I don't know, as a new reader, I guess I would be confused as to what was going on. And, and like I said, I think if you want to know more about Bane and and understand that it's not just about Nightfall, I think you really need to pick up that Chuck Dixon story.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that like the only thing that's good about the character is the Nightfall story because I, I, I do love Bane. I'm saying that like in the comic book uh, fandom mythology, that's what he's known for mostly. And that's not depicted here. That's that's all I'm saying.
2: Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on Bane going for Scarecrow? Um, and, and at first when he said, I need to go for somebody smart. I, I figured in, a, in an odd turn that he was going to work with him. But really, he wants to make an example out of him and saying that everybody hated him. So this sort of came at me. I, I wasn't really sure how he knew that everybody hates Scarecrow. But why go for Scarecrow to make an example out of and maybe not someone like, I would almost think Two-Face, uh, because you saw how he has had such an impact on this new Gotham right now. Um, so what do you, or, or somebody else if you didn't think Two-Face, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Okay, so the thing is that the reason behind this is because it's, it's, it's leading to Forever Evil Arkham War. Because Scarecrow is leading the one side, Bane's leading the other. It's basically Scarecrow and uh, the majority of the people that were in Arkham versus Bane and the people who were in uh, Blackgate Penitentiary. That's the idea. Um, the 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 thing is, he's going after Scarecrow because, as Scarecrow was portrayed in Detective Comics twenty three point three last week, the Scarecrow is is a very smart character. They they've gotten he was he was depicted in that issue which was also written by Peter Tomasi very differently than we've seen him depicted since the beginning of the new 52. He's a very very uh psychological character that's using his his abilities as a psychologist to, to deduce certain things about villains and and it's shown in that specific issue whether or not, you know why he goes after certain people, mm-hmm. what his his thought process is with going after Two Face compared to uh, Poison Ivy, and like the things he has to do because he knows how to read these people. He does what he needs to do in order to make it work. So that's why I assume Bane is that is is says he needs to go after Scarecrow is because Scarecrow in Peter Tomasi's depiction of him is written as a very smart character. Obviously the Riddler is also a very smart character. Um and Two Face is a very well respected character amongst the other villains. So I mean like there's there's obviously other characters that he could go after, but this is clearly just setting up the events of Arkham War and that's why he's specifically going after Scarecrow. The the one thing I do want to point out in relation to some of these other books that have come out in the last couple weeks That, that kind of contradicts some of the events that happen here is last week in the Clayface special, Clayface is shown in a bar and there's a bunch of like the small time villains like Dollhouse and Zebra Man and even White Rabbit. And White Rabbit makes some comment about how the secret society is recruiting people. And that's, that sparks Clayface to go out and try to get the society to notice him so he can be recruited. In here in this issue, White Rabbit also appears, but she's in Black Eight Penitentiary, locked up. And she's basically, as it appears here, that she's siding with Bane because she says herself, oh, Bane called ahead of time to the warden because, you know, they basically have taken out. I also just want to make a real quick observation. I, you know, it's great when villains appear in their costumes, but when they're locked up inside jail, I don't think any single yeah, one of these okay. people would have their normal clothes. We've said that more than once before. <laughs> I, you know, I've said that a gazillion times. It's just this is it, funny. I, I just don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense of why the White Rabbit would be allowed to be locked up in her outfit. Why uh, Mister Hypnotic would not be wearing something to block his eyes other than his sunglasses that he wears when he is a villain. So I mean, there's obviously some problems here. Um and that's not to say that I didn't enjoy the art. I did enjoy the art. I like Graham Nolan, and I, I think it's great that they had him draw the Bane special. But I just wanted to point that out because it's something that blows my mind.
1: Um, again, I, again, I it's hard. I I have to separate this from the original continuity where he he did have respect for Scarecrow. He said, "Oh yeah, Scarecrow and Joker together. If they work together, they could take over the city." But that was like that was like it. Uh, so I guess it, there actually does make there has some there is some precedent towards that. This whole, I don't think I've spoken about this, this whole idea of of an Arkham war, I don't, I I, I don't know, it it feels really ridiculous to me, I mean, why? (laughs) Why why have a war over Arkham Asylum? And then even that, it's like, you know, you're being recruited for this, and you're being recruited for that, like, what, I I find the idea, the idea itself stupid, but that's not really the question. Um, I guess it works, I suppose, but like, again, I don't know. Bane to me doesn't seem like a character who who should care about anybody but maybe Batman. He's a guy who's so much he thinks he's smarter and stronger than everybody else that like it feels weird for me to have him take notice on mostly anybody else. But that's 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 my personal thing. Um, a real I was gonna just mention really briefly about where N- Nolan's art because obviously like you know all the three of us have seen Graham Nolan draw Batman before and it's, it's glorious. But I think in this time it's been so long since he's been on Batman book. And I don't, and I don't see an inker here, so maybe he inked his own work. Maybe it's the costume that Bane's wearing, but I did not care for his art nearly as much as I do as the classic 90s stuff. I felt it just, and that's the thing with a lot of artists of, of yesterday. A lot of artists who've been in the game for a while, when they come back, the artwork's typically never as good as it used to be, only because they're getting older. That's not really his fault. I, but I did think that like it was not, I mean, it was, it was fine, but like, I, it wasn't, it wasn't up to the standard that I, that I usually am accustomed to. Because it kind of looks overtly cartoony, whereas a lot of his stuff looks really slick and smooth. That's just like you know my personal take on it. Um, Again, like him recruiting Scarecrow, it's an interesting idea, but it kind of goes into something that I'm not at all excited for or have any interest in, which is the Arkham War. It just it just sounds silly.
0: So, Batman number twenty three point four, the Bane special. I'm going to give a total of two and a half out of
1: five Uh I'll agree, two and a half out of five beddings.
2: Um, I'm going to go step up and and say
0: three out of five. All right. and over on the website. Joe Pizzolo gave the issue three and a half out of five batterings, So it's going to give Batman number 23.4, the Bane special a total of three out of five Batarangs. That is all of our books. Uh, let's get straight into listener Q and A's. And we do only have one listener Q and A because of the short amount of time between posting and recording. Uh The first and only comment we have comes from Alex. He says, another great episode. I wasn't the biggest fan, but I'm glad to hear that you guys enjoyed this week's issues better than the last. I've enjoyed Villain's Month as a whole, but just underwhelmed that a lot of the origins have been very similar to other villains or a weaker retread of their pre-New 52 origins. That's why I really liked the Riddler issue the most because the story seemed more original and it seemed it and it had a similar characterization of who I perceive Riddler to be. It's got to be really frustrating for writers, and I give them a lot of props for or for trying to reinterpret the characters but not wanting to disappoint the fans. A lot of them are probably trying to make them as interesting and as big of a threat as possible so that they could potentially be someone's favorite. But the problem is that a lot of them have the same mindset, and the characters come off as too cartoonish and weaker copies of each other. The same thing is going to happen. The same thing is going on in a lot of the Superman villain issues. But I'm much closer to the Batman universe, so it really hasn't bugged me. It's not just a New 52 thing, though. It's been a problem for years. I used to be a huge Wolverine (coughs) fan. And once he became really popular, the writers made him far more powerful and spotlighted him far too often. And it ruined the character for me. I think you guys mentioned the way Grant Morrison would write Batman, who would solve anything with a stick of gum and a paperclip. I have admiration for writers who can balance their love for a character without their stories being consistently favored toward them. I appreciate DC trying to get new readers by offering new jumping-on points yearly. Villains Month is a good way to introduce new readers to a character's universe, but also let old readers know that the direction for some of their favorite characters are headed. It will be interesting to see which issues sold the best. Who wrote your favorite interpretations of your favorite villains? Bane is my favorite villain, written by Joe <laughs> I really appreciate the weekly reviews. Thanks. All right, so my favorite interpretation, uh, as far as Ra's al Ghul, I'd have to say Denny O'Neill, uh, hands down, did the best job for Ra's al Ghul. Uh, that would be the original Ra's al Ghul stories from the 70s.
2: Oh, yeah. Um,
0: Some of the, the the only other one that I could actually speak to would be um, going, and this is outside of the normal universe, but still I think it works. Um, The stuff that uh, the team behind Batman the Animated Series did with Mr. Freeze and Harley Quinn and kind of reworking their origin stories in, um, well, specifically Harley Quinn rework or like creating her origin story. For the Batman universe within the comics, through the graphic novel *Mad Love*, I think. By creative mm-hmm.
1: team, you mean Paul Dean?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> the one. Thank you. Captain the one guy. Um. Yeah. Uh, uh. Dixon on Dixon on Bane, really. I mean, there is no other. Um. Although I did enjoy. I mean, I, I like the Scott Peterson story where Bane thinks that he's uh Batman's half brother. <laughs> uh, I like that story. I thought that. So I thought Peterson did a good job. Um, I think Paul Dini is the best Joker writer ever. Because he writes the Joker as threatening and scary while still being, I mean, his Joker makes me laugh. Like, genuinely. Not like, you know, a slapstick laugh, but like, I find this character very funny and laugh. Now, probably that has to do with Mark Hamill, but even in the comics, jo- like, it, it, Joker, uh, Dini's Joker, I find really, really well done. I, I don't, I honestly don't think there's a better Joker writer than Paul Dini. Even though Paul Dini's about more of a more re- relatively recent writer, but I think, I think he's is the best. Um, and that goes for, you know, Freeze and Harley as well. Uh, and I mean, it, even like Raich, I think Dini does well. Dini does well with a lot, of the, a lot of the really good villains. I, and, it's, and it's funny because there are a lot of really great Batman writers, but Paul Dini is really good. So, I mean, it's, it's hard for me to single out another writer. Oh, I do like uh Doug Minch's Mr. Zazz a little bit better than, uh Alan Grant's Mr. Zazz. Although I, lo- I like Mr. Zazz in general, but I think Doug Minch kind of took away a little bit of like the, the religious kind of bent that the character, I think, started out with and just made him a wacko. So I thought that worked really well.
2: Uh definitely agree. I mean, with Chuck Dixon and Bane, I already said, I, I really recommend you getting The the Vengeance. And if you get it, they recently reissued, I think it was last year, um, oh, I think I actually recommended it on the DCE Spotlight thing that we used to do, but don't do anymore on the show. Um they put that with uh I can't remember what it's called, but it's with Razal Ghoul, and he <laughs> decides that Bane is a good fit for um for Talia and Cobra's involved and everything. So you get double stories in that new trade paperback, so I recommend that. Uh you know, in my heart, one of my favorites uh is definitely Killer Moth. And He is, I think, more often treated like a a fool without any real, uh, and there are a couple, uh, you know, seventies bronze age issues where actually he has a good threat level. Um, but for the most part, it's just like, he's easily dispatched by anyone. But I just think that the way Chuck Dixon and Scott Beatty did it in uh back year one was just great. And um, I mean, he does have the sort of the jokester or what's make fun of this sea list villain aspect to him. But, just, I don't know, I, I think he, he's just so well captured in that and, and I think it's made even more classic by the fact that it's sort of rolls really main rogue. So I think that is amazing. And I would also like to say that Clarion, though I don't know if we could consider him a villain, it depends on how you're looking, uh, but the way, uh, Brian Q. Miller, uh, did him and, uh, in, in the back row with Steph Brown it, it's just fun when I think really the great writers are the ones that can take a villain and make him more than a villain um, because I think it's really easy to make somebody evil and to have terrible intent and everything but to give a villain that has multiple dimensions and make you interested about him and and like him instead of hating him as a villain I think those are the the ones that you sh- you need to invest in and and um, read about.
0: Alright. So with that, that is all of the listener Q and A's. Now keep in mind uh there is going to be the, we we are done now with Villains Month after the this ish, this uh episode. So we'll go back to our bi weekly or every every two week or two episodes per month starting in two weeks. Um since the comics will all go back to normal. Um, for the most part. So with that, I do want to remind you that you'll obviously have a little bit more time to leave your listener Q&As mm-hmm. between episodes now that they will be every two weeks instead of every week. So I implore you to be sure to send your comments to podcast at or leave your comments in the comment section below the podcast post and then we would, we can get to those on the next episode. I also want to take this time to announce that this is actually Donovan's last episode on the comic cast. So I want to thank Donovan for being on the comic cast for the past 3 plus
1: years. <laughs> and uh
0: Donovan, why don't you tell them what you've got in store going forward?
1: Well, uh <laughs> I don't know this. Um Going forward, I mean, I, I I unless people have missed it, they, they could have. I did a review for the first issue of Batman Black and White on the website, which I loved. I thought was that was the book of the year, and I'm and I'm not leaving the website. Uh How could I? It's it's just it's done so much for me, and I I find it a really excellent outlet for Batman fans. Um, I mean, it's 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 interesting. Like three years ago, I, I kind of came on as a fill-in, and that 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 is instantly went to like you know just a main. Co-host and just covering the, all the bat books with such, you know, consistency and such focus was really—it's kind of new for me because I, I never really read everything. But um, you know, like, uh, like kind of like Josh, I'm just not emotionally invested in the comics anymore. But at the same time, a, a lot of it really was hard for me because I love doing this podcast. I really, really do. I was, I was, I was checked out by by like last year, like uh, when they said the whole Tim Drake thing wasn't Robin. I was like, I, I really want to leave, but I did not want to leave this show. I really love uh, working with Dustin and Stella and Joe, but now it's just like I have zero emotion into Zero Year or Perfect Evil or Arkham War or any of that stuff. I'm just, I'm just not into it. But what I'm doing in the, uh, in the future, uh, I'm, I'm leading up some of the commentaries. I need to get back with Chris to do some of the Brave and the Bold commentaries and other of uh, the website's panelists. I still have some ideas for specials and articles. I suppose we still need to do a Batman special, a ranking special. And I'll, I'll be around. I'm not, I'm not, I'll, I won't be too far from your ears, but uh, I do think that the, the show will benefit from um, from uh, my exit. Because, you know, I, I get self-conscious sometimes. I don't really want to be the negative guy on the show. And I, I don't want to just be saying, "Oh, this wasn't as good as it was in 1995," or "It wasn't as good as it was when I was in first grade," or anything. Because that's just that's just not the point of listening to the show. At the same time, though, I do think the books legitimately are bad. Um, but it, it, it'll do better from like a, a more a different perspective than just my really bit, embittered uh, point of view. So um, uh, this is uh, at least for now. Maybe maybe uh, if it gets better, I'll beg for my spot back. But at least for now, this is my exit. <laughs> From the comic cast, but far from my exit from the website, because I'll always be around to uh, give my thoughts on my favorite character. All right. And obviously we're all going to miss
0: Don and the comic cast will will continue on. We will not be adding any cast members to the comic cast. It will it will go forward with myself, Joe and Stella, and it will just be the three of us. And that will leave a little bit more time for us to delve into some other things outside of the books because by having one less person to review each book, we'll have a little bit more time possibly to spend. Maybe we can bring back, as Stella pointed out, that we so viciously removed from our cast the DC Universe spotlight that we used to have. We might be able to bring that back. Uh, we'll definitely have more time for some possible discussions as well as more in-depth uh, conversations regarding listener Q and A. So that's another reason why you need to make sure you leave your comments and your questions so that we have we can we can discuss more because we'll have a little bit more time to discuss because there'll only be three of us reviewing each book instead of four. Obviously, everyone here at uh, the Batman Universe we're not saying goodbye to Don, but we do thank Don for doing the Comic Cast for the last three years. And as as Don said himself, he's not going anywhere. Alright, so with that, I remind everybody to head over to the website for all the latest news related to movies, merchandise, TV, video games, and of course the comics as well. Also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe, as well as our Facebook group to chat with other Bat fans related to everything within the Batman universe. Also be sure to check out all of our other podcasts we have to offer specifically related to some of the events happening in the comics, including Back the Oracle, and Taking Flight, which has taken a hiatus, but you may not have heard some of the latest episodes. Also, be sure to check out The Batfans, which also review some of the comics in a different perspective of some of the books that we review here, as well as The Point Five Cast when we return next month. So that is everything for this episode, but I do want to remind everybody that we are still looking for people to review these comics on a weekly basis. Um, We are specifically looking for people to review the books within two days of the book releasing, which means you'd have to be getting your books the Wednesday that they come out or Thursday. Um, But we are also, in addition to looking for people to review the normal books, we are also looking for people to review trade paperbacks. Um, We have someone reviewing some trade paperbacks, but we're looking for people to review older trade paperbacks that people might have forgotten or who are new to the Batman universe because of the New 52 need to know what to go out and read to realize that some of the stuff that they're reading now is not as great as some of the stuff pre-New 52. So we're looking for people to review trade paperbacks. We're also looking for people to review Beware the Batman, the TV show, as the episodes air on Saturday. Uh, we're looking for someone to review those. And, of course, we're still looking for a number of staff members for a number of the news sections of the website, including merchandise, movie, TV, and video games, um, as well as the comics, even though there really hasn't been as much comic news recently. So if you are interested in becoming a staff member of the Batman universe to either do editorials and write editorials related to different things, or if you're looking, if you have no interest at all about writing editorials and you are interested in possibly doing the news, be sure to email us at podcast at thebatmanuniverse.net and we will get back to you with a possible staff opportunity. So with that, that is everything for this episode now. And this is Dustin for a final
1: time for now.
0: This was Donovan.
2: And I guess I'm not fired yet. This is Stella.
0: You've been listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two
1: weeks. Ta ta for now.
2: Still the token
1: female. For now.
2: Have a nice day.